Chapter 5 of the Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel, written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. I forgot to say how, in the year of my novitiate, I suffered much uneasiness about things in themselves of no importance, but I was found fault with very often when I was blameless. I bore it painfully and with imperfection. However, I went through it all because of the joy I had at being a nun. When they saw me seeking to be alone and even weeping over my sins at times, they thought I was discontented and said so. All religious observances had an attraction for me, but I could not endure any which seemed to make me contemptible. I delighted in being thought well of by others and was very exact in everything I had to do. All this, I thought, was a virtue, though it will not serve as any excuse for me because I knew what it was to procure my own satisfaction in everything, and so ignorance does not blot out the blame. There may be some excuse in the fact that the monastery was not founded in great perfection. I, wicked as I was, followed after that which I saw was wrong and neglected that which was good. There was in the house a nun laboring under a most grievous and painful disorder, for there were open ulcers in her body caused by certain obstructions through which her food was rejected. Of the sickness, she soon died. All the sisters I saw were afraid of her malady. I envied her patience very much. I prayed to God that he would give me a like patience, and then whatever sickness it might be his pleasure to send. I do not think I was afraid of any, for I was resolved on gaining eternal good and determined to gain it by any and by every means. I'm surprised at myself, because then I had not, as I believe, that love of God which I think I had after I began to pray. Then I had only light to see that all things that pass away are to be lightly esteemed, and that the good things to be gained by despising them are of a great price, because they are forever. His Majesty heard me also in this, for in less than two years I was so afflicted myself that the illness which I had, though of a different kind from that of the sister, was, I really believe, not less painful and trying for the three years it lasted, as I shall now relate. When the time had come for which I was waiting in the place I spoke of before, I was waiting in my sister's house for the purpose of undergoing the medical treatment, they took me away with the utmost care of my comfort, that is, my father, my sister, and the nun, my friend, who had come from the monastery with me, for her love for me was very great. At that moment, Satan began to trouble my soul. God, however, brought forth a great blessing out of that trouble. In the place to which I had gone for my cure lived a priest of good birth and understanding, with some learning, but not much. I went to confession to him, for I was always fond of learned men, although confessors indifferently learned did my soul much harm, 
for I did not always find confessors whose learning was as good as I could wish it was. I know by experience that it is better if the confessor are good men and of holy lives, that they should have no learning at all than a little. For such confessors never trust themselves without consulting those who are learned, nor would I trust them myself. And a really learned confessor never deceived me. Neither did the others willingly deceive me, only they knew no better. I thought they were learned, and that I was under no other obligation than that of believing them, as their instructions to me were lax, and left me more at liberty. For if they had been strict with me, I am so wicked I should have sought for others. That which was a venial sin, they told me, was no sin at all. Of that which was most grievously mortal, they said it was venial. This did me so much harm that it is no wonder I should speak of it here as a warning to others, that they may avoid an evil so great. For I see clearly that in the eyes of God I was without excuse, that the things I did being in themselves not good, this should have been enough to keep me from them. I believe that God, by reason of my sins, allowed those confessors to deceive themselves and to deceive me. I myself deceived many others by saying to them what had been said to me. I continued in this blindness, I believe, more than seventeen years, till a most learned Dominican father undeceived me in part, and those of the company of Jesus made me altogether so afraid by insisting on the erroneousness of these principles, as I shall hereafter show. I began then by going to confession to that priest of whom I spoke before. He took an extreme liking to me because I had then but little to confess in comparison with what I had afterwards, and I had never much to say since I became a nun. There was no harm in the liking he had for me, but it ceased to be good because it was in excess. He clearly understood that I was determined on no account whatever to do anything whereby God might be seriously offended. He, too, gave me a like assurance about himself, and accordingly our conferences were many. But at that time, through the knowledge and fear of God which filled my soul, what gave me most pleasure in all my conversations with others was to speak of God. And as I was so young, this made him ashamed. And then, out of the great good will he bore me, he began to tell me of his wretched state. It was very sad for he had been nearly seven years in a most perilous condition because of his affection for and conversation with a woman of that place. And yet he used to say mass. The matter was so public that his honor and good name were lost, and no one ventured to speak to him about it. I was extremely sorry for him because I liked him much. I was then so imprudent and so blind as to think it a virtue to be grateful and loyal to one who liked me. Curse be that loyalty which reaches so far as to go against the law of God. It is a madness common in the world, and it makes me mad to see it. We are indebted to God for all the good that men do to us, and yet we hold it to be an act of virtue not to break a friendship of this kind, though it lead us 
to go against him. Oh, blindness of the world. Let me, O Lord, be most ungrateful to the world, never at all unto thee. But I have been altogether otherwise through my sins. I procured further information about the matter from members of his household. I learned more of his ruinous state and saw that the poor man's fault was not so grave because the miserable woman had had recourse to enchantments. By giving him a little image made of copper, which she had begged him to wear for love of her around his neck, and this no one had influence enough to persuade him to throw away. As to this matter of enchantments, I do not believe it to be altogether true, but I will relate what I saw by way of warning to men to be on their guard against women who will do things of this kind. And let them be assured of this, that women, for they are more bound to purity than men, if once they have lost all shame before God, are in nothing whatever to be trusted, and that in exchange for the gratification of their will and of that affection which the devil suggests, they will hesitate at nothing. Though I have been so wicked myself, I never fell into anything of this kind, nor did I ever attempt to do evil. Nor, if I had the power, would I have ever constrained anyone to like me, for our Lord kept me from this. But if he had abandoned me, I should have done wrong in this, as I did in other things. For there is nothing in me wherein anyone may rely. When I knew this, I began to show him greater affection. My intention was good, but the act was wrong, for I ought not do the least wrong for the sake of any good, how great soever it may be. I spoke to him most frequently of God, and this must have done him good, though I believed that what touched him most was his great affection for me, because to do me a pleasure, he gave me that little image of copper and I had it at once thrown into a river. When he had given it up, like a man roused from deep sleep, he began to consider all that he had done in those years, and then, amazed at himself, lamenting his ruinous state, that woman came to be hateful in his eyes. Our Lady must have helped him greatly, for he had a very great devotion to her conception and used to keep the feast thereof with great solemnity. In short, he broke off all relations with that woman utterly and was never weary of giving God thanks for the light he had given him. And at the end of the year from the day I first saw him, he died. He had been most diligent in the service of God and as for the great affection he had for me, I never observed anything wrong in it, though it might have been of greater purity. There were also occasions wherein he might have been most grievously offended if he had not kept himself in the near presence of God. As I have said before, I would not then have done anything I knew was a mortal sin, and I think that observing this resolution in me helped him to have that affection for me. For I believe that all men must have a greater affection for those women whom they see disposed to be good 
and even for the attainment of earthly ends, women must have more power over men because they are good, as I shall show hereafter. I am convinced that the priest is in the way of salvation. He died most piously and completely withdrawn from that occasion of sin. It seems that it was the will of our Lord he should be saved by these means. I remained three months in that place in the most grievous sufferings, for the treatment was too severe for my constitution. In two months, so strong were the medicines, my life was nearly worn out, and the severity of the pain in the heart, for the cure for which I was there, was much more keen. It seemed to me now and then as if it had been seized by sharp teeth. So great was the torment that it was feared it might end in madness. There was a great loss of strength, for I could eat nothing whatever, only drink. I had a great loathing for food and a fever that never left me. I was so reduced, for they had given me purgatives daily for nearly a month, and so parched up that my sinews began to shrink. The pains I had were unendurable, and I was overwhelmed in most deep sadness, so that I had no rest either night or day. This was the result. And thereupon my father took me back. Then the physicians visited me again. All gave me up. They said I was also consumptive. This gave me little or no concern. What distressed me were the pains I had, for I was in pain from my head down to my feet. Now, nervous pains, according to the physicians, are intolerable, and all my nerves were shrunk. Certainly, if I had not brought this upon myself by my sins, the torture would have been unendurable. I was not more than three months in this cruel distress, for it seemed impossible that so many ills could be borne together. I now am astonished at myself and the patience His Majesty gave me, for it clearly came from Him. I look upon that as a great mercy from our Lord. It was a great help to me to be patient that I had read the story of Job in the morals of St. Gregory. Our Lord seems to have prepared me thereby and that I had begun the practice of prayer, so that I might bear it all, conforming my will to the will of God. All my conversation was with God. I had continually these words of Job in my thoughts and in my mouth. If we have received good things of the hand of our Lord, why should we not receive evil things? This seemed to give me courage. The feast of Our Lady in August came around. From April until then, I had been in great pain, but more especially during the last three months. I made haste to go to confession, for I had always been very fond of frequent confession. They thought I was driven by the fear of death, and so my father, in order to quiet me, would not suffer me to go. Oh, the unreasonable love of flesh and blood. Though it was that of a father so Catholic and so wise, he was very much so, and this act of his could not be the effect of any ignorance on his part. What evil it might have done me! That very night my sickness became so acute that for about four days I remained insensible. 
they administered the sacrament of the last anointing. And every hour, or rather every moment, thought I was dying. They did nothing but repeat the credo, as if I could have understood anything they said. They must have regarded me dead more than once, for I found afterwards drops of wax on my eyelids. My father, because he had not allowed me to go to confession, was grievously distressed. Loud cries and many prayers were made to God. Blessed be he who heard them. For a day and a half, the grave was open in my monastery, waiting for my body. And the friars of our order, in a house at some distance from this place, performed funeral solemnities. But it pleased our Lord I should come to myself. I wished to go to confession at once. I communicated with many tears. But I do not think those tears had their source in that pain and sorrow only for having offended God, which might have sufficed for my salvation, unless indeed the delusion which I labored under were some excuse for me, and into which I had been led by those who had told me that some things were not mortal sins, which afterwards I found were so certainly. Though my sufferings were unendurable, and my perceptions dull, yet my confession, I believe, was complete as to all matters wherein I understood myself to have offended God. This grace, among others, did His Majesty bestow on me, that ever since my first communion, never in confession have I failed to confess anything I thought to be a sin, though it might be only a venial sin. But I think that undoubtedly my salvation was in great peril if I had died at that time, partly because my confessors were so unlearned, and partly because I was so very wicked. It is certainly true that when I think of it and consider how our Lord seems to have raised me up from the dead, I am so filled with wonder that I almost tremble with fear. And now, O oh my soul, it were well for thee to look that danger in the face from which our Lord delivered thee. If thou dost not cease to offend him out of love, then thou shouldest do so out of fear. He might have slain thee a thousand times, and in a far more perilous state. I believe I exaggerate nothing if I say a thousand times again, though he may rebuke me who has commanded me to restrain myself in recounting my sins and they are glossed over enough. I pray him for the love of God not to suppress one of my faults, because herein shines forth the magnificence of God, as well as his long-suffering toward souls. May he be blessed forevermore, and destroy me utterly, rather than let me cease to love him any more.